The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church slash contact. Any of you uh, ever feel like you're starting to get old? Raise your hand if you feel like you're starting to get old. Yeah, that's more than I thought. So I'm starting to feel it. I'm only 47. Well, I'm 47, but I'm starting to feel old. And uh, there's some telltale signs, I guess, that kind of let you know uh, when you're starting to get old, for those of you who haven't hit that phase of life yet. But um, it's crazy. Like, when you lift everything over 25 pounds, you start getting hernias. That's one sign that tells you you're old. And then uh, gray hair. You know, somebody told me at school this week, a teacher said, you're starting to get gray and uh, that kind of tells me I'm old, but that's not a bad thing. The Bible says that's a crown of the splendor or some, some misinterpretation like that. But, um, and then um, another thing that it's kind of told me I'm starting to get old is that I have started watching the news every night, okay? Uh, how many of you, be honest, watch the news every night? <laughs> See? It's just a few of us. Okay? Just a few of us old people. And uh, that's how I really knew that, hey, I'm getting that phase of life where I'm getting older because I watch the evening news. Now, for those of you who watch the news, actually, I don't even really watch it. I just record it, and then I fast forward to see if there's anything that kind of piques my interest and uh, kind of stop it and watch that segment. But um, you know if you watch the news every night or at all that this world seems to be out of control, doesn't it? I mean, it's become very chaotic in the world around us. And if, if you watch those stories, it just seems like the world is falling apart at the seams. I mean, you think about gas prices out of control and rising and food costs. And it's just, it's causing a lot of financial hardships on a lot of people. And many feel like our nation, not only that, but it's like morally imploding. It's destroying itself from the inside out. Um, there are Wars and rumors of wars, as the Bible says, will happen during the end times. And many people are troubled in their hearts. And you know what? It, it may not all be true, what we see on the news. I get that. It may just be the way that we feel. And, and I get that feelings were designed by God to follow and not to lead us. But it feels like everything that was nailed down is coming loose, doesn't it? That's what it feels like. The foundations are shaken. And if there is one thing that you and I know for certain, it's that we are certainly living in uncertain times. Would you agree with that? So during this series, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, three chapters, chapters 3 through 5, and we're going to pray that God will teach us how to be confident in uncertain times. And we're calling this series Uncertain Confidence because even though there's so much uncertainty in our world right now, we can be confident that God is still sovereign, that he's still in control, and as a result of that, we can still put our trust in him, all right? So these three chapters remind us that when the world seems just to be crumbling down all around us, that we have a solid rock, a solid foundation that we can build our lives on in Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians 3, today we're going to look at verses 1 through 18, and they teach us to be humble, to put our trust in God. 
And in doing so, when we dig into these scriptures, uh, we're going to see in this passage that why we as Christians, we can have confidence in the uncertain times in which we're living in. And so I'm going to give you three take-home lessons this morning, three things that if you don't remember anything else, hopefully you'll walk out the door and remember these three things from these scriptures. And the first one is this. Our confidence comes from trusting Jesus, not ourselves, for daily strength. All right, our confidence comes from trusting Jesus, not ourselves, for daily strength. Let's let's look at it in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says this. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It's carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. So in the first century, travelers carried letters of recommendation from famous people to give them instant credibility. They didn't have like credit cards and driver's licenses or background checks back then. So they would carry these letters to, uh, to create trust with people. Paul is saying here in these first few verses, listen, I don't need other people's endorsement to prove to you that I represent Jesus is what he's saying. Your conversion is all the evidence that I need. He said, my letter of recommendation is your relationship with the Lord. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but neither Dave or I are ordained by men, that is. And he was at one point in a Baptist church, made me a licensed minister back in the day for tax purposes several years ago. But we don't put a lot of stock in that. We believe that God wants us to shepherd this church and to preach the good news, the the gospel. Now, I'm I'm not saying it's wrong for pastors to be ordained, but to those of you who know us, you understand that we just don't put a lot of stock in titles. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us. We either have credibility with you or we don't. Some of you have heard us preach and walked alongside of us for over a decade now. And so you know, we either have credibility with you or we don't. You, You don't judge us based on an ordination certificate. Paul said, I don't need a letter of endorsement from someone else to show you that I'm a minister of Jesus. He says, your changed lives are proof that God has been at work. I was talking with somebody after church last Sunday who hadn't been here since year one of our church when we were meeting in that little room on the side there. And uh, he came last week, 12 years later, and saw what was going on now. And he said, it's obvious that what God has done and is doing here at this church. And I agree with him. Look at verse 4. Paul says, we're confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It's not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. No, he says, our qualification comes from God. You see, Paul's confidence wasn't in other people's endorsements or even in himself. His confidence was in God and what God could do. And you see, the 
world teaches you and I that confidence, you know, we need to trust in ourselves. We hear a lot nowadays about building up our self-esteem, right? Just believe in yourself. Trust your gut. I mean, you can do anything you want if you just set your mind to it, right? No mountain is too big if you just believe in yourself. I remember when my boys were little, Steve from Blue's Clues, remember that? He used to sing, if we use our minds and take it one step at a time, we can do anything that we want to do. Now, it is true that we want our children to have reasonable self-confidence. We want them to dream and to believe in their potential. But listen, to tell them they can do anything they want, if they'll just put their heart and minds into it, that's just simply not true. I mean, it's not. If Oscar Sweebway, right, that 6'9", 255-pound forward for the U.K. basketball team, if his mother had told him that he could be a horse jockey someday and ride the winning horse for the Kentucky Derby one day, right? Or, or if this year's Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strikes Jockey, his name's Sonny Leone, if his mom had told him that he would become the leading NCAA rebounder in the nation, that wouldn't have been true, okay? You can believe in yourself all you want to, not happening. Now, counter that with telling our children, you can be anything that God wants you to be. That's very different. There are some things we simply can't do on our own, regardless of how much that you and I believe in ourselves. When our health takes a turn for the worse, when an older child rebels, when, when your spouse has an affair, when the stock market crashes, when you lose your job, when a, when a miscarriage happens, all the self-confidence in the world, guys, it won't be enough. It won't. Our source of strength better be in something, in someone more than ourselves. You see, as Christians, we, we can be confident when we feel uncertain because our trust is in Jesus for everyday strength. Look at Psalm 27, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, They'll stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain, what, confident. Think about a 10-year-old boy who gets bullied by a 12-year-old at the bus stop every morning before school. He's scared every day just to go to school. But then one day, his 200-pound dad decides to walk with him to the bus stop. There's no fear now, right? No fear anymore because his father is by his side. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 16, the first time I was brought before the judge, nobody came with me. Everyone abandoned me. But the Lord walked with me to the bus stop, right? The Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever 
and ever. Guys, to trust in Jesus and not in ourselves, that requires humility. We've got to swallow our pride and admit that we can't do it. We can't do anything alone apart from God. You know, the Christian life has so many upside down, inside out, uh, backward ways of living, doesn't it? You know, you got to die to live. We, we give to receive. We lose ourselves to find ourselves. We surrender to experience victory. And here's another one. We humble ourselves to be exalted. We admit our inadequacy to be confident. It seems backwards, doesn't it? But it's true. And it requires humility to admit that we don't always have it all together. We can't always solve everything that life throws at us. And so we beg God, Lord, I can't deal with this stress today. I need you. And when we humbly confess that we can't do it alone and we put our trust in him, he comes alongside of us fighting our battles and enabling us with his Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in a familiar verse in Philippians 4.13, he said, For I can do everything on my own. No, he says, I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, guys, Christians are just simply people who humbly depend on God for daily strength. But there's something else in verse 6 that we need to see, and that's this. Our confidence comes from relying on grace, not on law, for salvation. It comes from relying on grace, not on law, for salvation. Look at it in verse 6. He says, He has enabled us to be ministers of, this new, of His new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The, the old covenant, well, that ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Now, I have seen uh, several top ten lists over the years of people's most common fears. You ever read those? I have like the top ten most common fears that people have. And almost on every one that I've ever read, listed at number one of the top ten fears that people have is the fear of speaking in public. And the last one I read at number three was the fear of death. Okay, and so uh, Jerry Seinfeld once said, he said, if that's true, then at the average funeral, most people would rather be the corpse than the person giving the eulogy, right? And I just don't know. I don't believe that. He, I mean, I think he's right. The fear of death that should probably be listed at everybody's number one. I'm sure it is. Billy Graham once discussed his relationship with various U.S. presidents, and he said that he probably spent more time with President Lyndon Johnson than any other president because Johnson was so terrified of dying. Hebrews 2.15 says people are held captive by their fear of death. Some of us in the room may be held captive by the fear of dying. Hebrews 2.15 says only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives, what, as slaves to the fear of dying. Maybe you feel like that. You know what the world thinks when we die? The world thinks that God is going to judge us by the law. If you ask most people, you know the, the common age-old question you hear a lot at the end of church services, if you died tonight, do you think you would go to heaven or hell? 
Well, the average person would say, you know, I hope I go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. Many people think that that God is keeping track of all the good they've ever done in their life and then all the bad that we've ever done in our life. And then at the end, he's going to put all that stuff on the scales and he's going to weigh them out. And he's going to see which one kind of wins out to determine our destiny. Guys, that belief produces a lot of uncertainty. We're never sure if we've been good enough. Because we've all done some bad things. And we've all had some selfish motives when doing some good things. And if we're honest, we will admit that we have all broken just about every single one of the Ten Commandments, haven't we? We're not sure where that cut line is going to be. And so many people live with a constant fear of death and judgment. And to add to that, the scriptures tell us that no one is righteous, not even one. And that all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans tells us. But listen, for those of us who are Christians... Okay, for those of us in the room who are Christians, we should be confident in death because we depend what? On grace, not on the law. Look at it in verse 7. Paul says the old way with those laws that were etched in stone, well, that led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God. And even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of this new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious... How much more glorious is the new which remains forever? You see, guys, the old covenant was received by Moses on Mount Sinai. But the new covenant was delivered by Jesus on Mount Calvary. The old covenant brought with it this fading glory. That word means like honor, great beauty. And Moses' glory had faded with time. But the new covenant brought an increasing glory. That the glory of Jesus increases with time. That old covenant demanded perfection down to the letter of the law. But the new covenant is based on the perfection of Jesus. That old covenant brought condemnation and death. Nobody could keep it. Right? The new covenant, it brings forgiveness and righteousness. That old covenant, it depended on our works. The new covenant, listen, depends solely on God's grace. That's good news. I read about an illustration of a man who died and he stood before the gatekeeper of heaven. And he told him this. The gatekeeper said, you must have a thousand points to enter into heaven. What good things have you done while on earth? And the guy said, well, I was a straight A student. I was in life group. I never missed a church service. And the gatekeeper wrote that down and he said, that's good stuff. That's two points. What else you got? The man gulped, and he was like, well, uh, I was faithful to my wife, I tithed, I was generous with my money, I mean, I was an honest businessman, Uh, I trained my kids to be people of integrity, and the gatekeeper said, that's wonderful. Here's two more points. 
You still need 996 more. What else you got? And the guy began listing everything he could think of. I mean, he was like, well, I obeyed the speed limit. I never ran a red light. I mean, I always told my pastor it was a good sermon, even if it wasn't, you know. And uh, everything he could think of, right? And the gatekeeper said, two more points. Still need 994 more. And in desperation, the man said, I'll just be honest. I can't think of one other good thing that I've ever done. I guess I'll just have to throw myself on the mercy of God. And the gatekeeper said, excellent. That's worth 994 points. Come on in. A couple problems with that illustration. The one is, of course, as far as salvation is concerned, our good works get a zero points. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. No one does good, not even one. So there's that problem. But another problem with it is that, listen, we cannot wait until we die to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Guys, listen, we have to do that now. And when we do, when you throw yourself on the mercy of God, okay, he saves us by his grace only. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not the good things that you and I have done. You don't have to take my word for it. Take God's. Ephesians 2, 8, it says this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. It's a, it's a free gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Guys, it's not about your good works. It's about God's grace. Let's say that you were in an accident in another state, far away. And let's say that there was a person from our church who had access to a medical plane and offered to go pick you up and fly you back home so you could recuperate here. And on the way home, you begin to feel like a moocher. And so you ask to pay for the plane ride. You say, how much is it? I, I want to pay. I don't want to feel like a moocher. And the owner of the plane tells you, says, listen, don't worry about it. It's a gift. It's free, just accept it. And you keep on persisting that you would like to pay until the owner finally looks at you and says, listen, you can't afford it, okay? You just can't afford it. And once you find out the price, you realize you couldn't afford it, okay? Well, listen, we can't afford to pay for our sin either. It costs too much. We cannot earn our salvation, but it was paid for already by Jesus, the only one who was qualified to bring healing. The truth is, you and I, we are spiritual moochers. We are. All we can do is live our lives with thankfulness in our hearts, with gratefulness in our actions for what he has already done for us. That's it. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, since this new way of life gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. I want to pull out one more truth from these verses today, and that's this. Our confidence comes from focusing on our character, not our reputation for contentment. It comes from focusing on our character, not our reputation for contentment, for personal fulfillment. And Paul uses Moses here as the example. Look at verse 13. He says, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face 
so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. You know, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face was shining because of his close encounter with God. And he covered his face so they couldn't look at him without having to squint. His face radiated with God's brilliance. Imagine being in the presence of God. But Moses realized that the glory would eventually leave. And so what did he do? He kept the veil on his face okay, for a little while longer so the people wouldn't realize that the glow was fading away. I mean, who, who wants to follow a diminishing leader, right? A leader with diminishing glory. Moses liked the reputation of being the one with, with the shining face, having met with God. But it was impossible to keep it because it was fading away. It was impossible to maintain that image. You, you know, the world's confidence is based on what people think, isn't it? I mean, you can have high self-esteem if you look good and you leave the right impression with the right people. Our society magnifies and values the young, the beautiful, those full of energy and enthusiasm. But there's a huge problem with that. Because as we age, those attributes decrease, don't they? Our marketability, our attractiveness, it kind of fades away like that glory that was with Moses. We see this oftentimes with actors or actresses whose stardom fades away, right? I mean, they're on top for a few years, but then their popularity just kind of diminishes. It's like this in every area. When we, when we reach a certain phase of life, the glory begins to fade. You may not have as much influence as you once did, and it's difficult maybe to find a job um, as you get older. Maybe you're older and single, and it's difficult to find a mate. And I'm not trying to sound depressing. It's just the truth that our glory decreases with age. I read about a CEO in his early 60s who had retired. And his friend asked him, he said, how's retirement going? You enjoying it? And he said, well, to be honest, I'm I'm really struggling. I'm having a difficult time with it. And he said, why? And he said, well, people don't return my calls anymore. They don't answer my text messages anymore. And you know, the the things the world finds glorious, they fade away with age, don't they? And that's why so many people work so hard trying to maintain a youthful appearance. We wear masks. Verse 14 says, But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, when the old covenant is being read, the same veil that covers their minds Uh, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed, listen, only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they don't understand. Guys, listen, if we rely on obedience to the Old Testament moral code, there is still a veil that prevents you from seeing the truth the love, the forgiveness, and the grace of God. There is. Verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, guess what happens? The veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, well, there's freedom. Guys, when we come to Jesus, we can see that the good news really is true. And that what's on the inside matters more than what's on the outside. 
And that requires humility because we must admit that we can't discover God's truth all on our own. I mean, come on, let's be real. There, never in a million years would we ever come to reason that the creator of the universe would put skin on, would clothe himself in a human body, that he would come to earth as a baby, live a perfect life, die an atoning death, and defeat the grave. Would we come to that, that conclusion? No way. But when we humbly turn to Jesus and we accept it by faith, the Bible says that veil is removed. And then you and I can see clearly, and we wonder why other people can't, right? Guys, there's freedom from the fear of getting older and dying. There's freedom from being so obsessed with what other people think about us. Look at verse 18. It says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Guys, only Jesus can change us from the inside out. Only His transformation results in this ever-increasing glory the Scriptures are talking about. And that change begins when you and I are baptized into Jesus and our nature is changed, it's transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That old life, well, that's gone. A new life has begun. And that change, uh, that, that continues over a period of time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, as we grow older, even our personalities are transformed. Look at 2 Peter 1 verse 5. It says, in view of all this that we're talking about, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So guys, the older that we get as Christians, the more attractive that you and I should become on the inside. We should. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, that's why that we don't ever give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits, our inside is being renewed day by day. This takes humility because we're becoming transparent. The older we get, listen, we're not, we're not so concerned about our reputations anymore. We become more concerned with our character, with being real, with being authentic, as we're going to talk about more next week. Listen, we don't have to wear a mask anymore. We don't have to pretend. We admit that sometimes our spiritual glory fades, as Moses' did. Listen, that our prayer life is not always so great that our temper is not always under control, that our mind is not always so focused at, a, at the end of, of a church service during the sermon, right? We just own it. But you know what? Sometimes the opposite is true as well. And when it is, we just simply need to let the glory of the Lord shine and don't hide it. Don't pretend to be less spiritual than you really are. There will be times when we're tempted to put a veil over our face 
to hide the fact that there is spiritual glory in our lives so we don't offend anyone. But listen, a humble person is way more concerned about God's evaluation than other people's opinions. We should care more about our character than our reputation because reputation always fades. Character endures and improves. And listen, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's simply thinking of yourself less. You know, God says in the Bible that if you and I are humble, that we will be exalted. I was thinking this week, I've I've seen that scripture lived out in the life of one of my old high school basketball coaches, Tim Stevens. He's a native of McCreary County and accomplished a lot in his basketball career. And he led our high school to the state tournament back in the day. He's actually the all-time leading scorer in our school's history, 16th all-time in state history. He was second in Mr. Basketball Voting, the best high school player in Kentucky. Still the second leading rebounder in state history, you know. And he received a scholarship to play at the University of Kentucky, and he won a national championship there in 1978. His high school and college jerseys are in the trophy cases at McCray Central. But you know what? I, I talking to him a few weeks ago. He's never, ever flaunted his accomplishments. I listened to a podcast recently where he was being interviewed, and it was from December 9, 2020, entitled Kentucky Sports Memories, and he's still as humble now as when I played for him back in the early 1990s. He served our community, giving back by teaching and coaching, and when you talk to him, he acts like it's an honor to talk to you. He's got a wonderful family who he loves dearly and is proud of, but but he never tries to use his influence for their personal gain. He has a strong faith in God, but isn't obnoxious about it. He lets his light shine through the life that he has lived. You could find him in church, I'm sure, this morning. But he shuns the spotlight. And while most former athletes' glory diminishes, his is increasing because he has lived a life of integrity and realizes the importance of family and faith in the Lord. Just a great example of humility. Author John Ortberg wrote this. He said, we'd like to be humble, but what if no one notices? We'd like to be humble, but what if nobody notices? Jesus summed it up in John 15, 5 when he said this. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. But listen, my favorite verse in the Bible, he says this. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing apart from me. Guys, the more we humble ourselves, the more confident we'll become. Because one, we've learned this morning that our strength for the stress of everyday life, it's not in ourselves, but it's in Jesus. He never fails. The the second thing, our hope for life after death, it's not in good works, but it's in God's grace. That's dependable. And the last thing, our self-satisfaction is not found in our reputation, which fades been in our character that deepens with the passing of time. 2 Corinthians 3.12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Would you just close your eyes with me for just a second? And again, we're not going to call attention to anybody or I just want you to be able to focus for just a second. Not trying to embarrass you, not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but just Focus. 
If you don't yet know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I encourage you today to humble yourself and be very bold, as that scripture says. Would you just admit to him? Would you just agree with him that you're like the rest of us once were, sinners in need of a Savior? Guys, he's the only way. There is no plan B. Would you humble yourself this morning and surrender your life to him today? And if you do that, would would you just tell him and then go tell somebody else that you're now a Christian, that you're a follower of the one true God? Don't overcomplicate it. It's very simple. Romans 10.9 says this. If you would just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you would just believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, listen, you will be saved. That's a promise from your heavenly Father. Not might be, could be, gonna be. You will be saved. Would you trust in this morning with your life? Would you do that? Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that it's true, that we don't have to depend on what people say about us or think about us. We just care what you say and think. And so, Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that, that hasn't just surrendered, hasn't humbled themselves and, and, and realized that we can't do anything alone, that we need you. I pray for the person who's depended on their good works so far up to this point in their life, hoping that someday when they die, it'll be good enough. Father, would you just blow that way of thinking out of the water this morning? Would you help them to, to admit and realize that we can't do a thing without you, that it all depends on your grace and not our good works? Would you just save somebody here this morning? And Father, once they, they've made that commitment, would, would you just give them the courage and the strength to go tell somebody that, hey, I'm in. I'm a follower of the one true God, and I'll go wherever he leads me. Father, we trust that you would do that today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC Podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.